Our, our lesson is from the seventh chapter of Matthew's gospel. Familiar words, tough words. Jesus said, do not judge. Now that takes all the fun out of it right there. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye while the log's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. My crack video team has come up with an official um, poster, placard, meme, um, video picture illustration for this. May I have the super secret slide, please? There we go. You got a dog like that that judges you, that looks at you like that? Uh-huh, yeah. So we kind of live in that kind of culture that, um, that, that seems very simple, what Jesus said. Don't judge that you may not be judged. And if you want reinforcement, let's go to the brother of Jesus, James the apostle. And James says this, my brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, take your seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions, judgments, among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that is invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law, law according to Scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, judgment, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So that's pretty simple. That um, appears to be Jesus saying don't judge and the brother of Jesus saying don't judge. So there it is. We have wrapped it up. Do not judge. This is what the Bible says. That's all I need to say about it. It's really simple. Let's go have communion and go to the restaurant. No. It's not that simple. Now, if you want a secondary law of what Jesus is saying, he's talking about the law of sowing and reaping. That which you sow, you also reap. If you 
live and treat each other with love and respect and grace and dignity, you tend to bring back into yourself love and grace and dignity. If you treat each other with hostility and you're always trying to cut corners and, and take advantage of someone, that's usually what comes back to you because Jesus said, for the judgment you make will be judged and will be the measure you get. So what you give out there comes back to you. It's biblical. Happens in several places. But this is way more complex than it first sounds. Part of the reason is because the Greek word krenom, the word to judge, has been translated in English. The English has evolved, and we almost exclusively translate krino as condemn. And the English word means something bigger and broader. So Jesus says, don't judge. Do not judge. Do not judge. I am not supposed to judge that person who's trying to turn left off Woodward onto Cooktown Road at 3.15 in the afternoon in front of me. I am not to judge them. I'm not to judge the person in the left-hand lane of I-20 driving 54 miles an hour because Jesus created that lane for me. And the minimum in that lane is 78. And I know because I waved at Lincoln Parish this morning right at Simsboro. I'm not to judge, right? Jesus said it right here. Black letter law. No way around it. Let us look. Jesus again in the seventh chapter, the 15th verse. On down, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns, figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will know them by their fruits. How are you supposed to know what fruits are good and bad? What are you invited to do right there? Judge. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Which is it? Either I'm not supposed to judge or it's okay to judge. Come on, Lord, you just told me to make a value judgment about a person's fruit that they're producing. You want another one? Let's go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verses 11 through 15. Jesus has sent out the 12 to go among um, the people and minister. And he says to them, whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy. Jesus, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter a house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. How are you supposed to determine who's worthy? You judge. 
Which one is it, Jesus? Judge not that you be not judged. You got us evaluating fruit. Now you got us going into a town trying to determine who's worthy. That sounds like judgment, Jesus. It sounds like we're called to judge. We got another one, the 18th chapter of Matthew's gospel. 15th verse talks about the church. If any member of the church sins against you, <clears throat> go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Do any of you have a list of church sins? How are you going to determine if somebody sinned against you? Aren't you going to find yourself judging? If any member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault. The two of you are alone. But if a, mem and a member listens to you, you've regained that one. But if they do not listen to you, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such... One, be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus says here, and he says it in the 16th chapter, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How are you going to determine what to hang on to and what to let go of? Who to hang on to and who to let go of? You judge. Well, I've got one more from the 20th chapter of John's gospel. I can't pick on Matthew exclusively. John 20. Um, Jesus appears to the disciples and he says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. How are you going to determine what you're going to let go of and what you're going to hang on to? You judge. Crino is almost exclusively used in the English language, the word judge or judgment to mean condemn. But in the English language, there is a more general sense of that word, meaning to evaluate, to discern, to separate, to decide. This is the role of the judge one who listens and perceives and decides what is just and then dispenses justice. And it might be favor or success or deliverance, safety, victory to the one who is right and condemnation to the one who is wrong. The discernment process is what is meant here by judging. This passage in Matthew, the first two verses of the seventh chapter, People take it as becoming the truth that Jesus is teaching, the principle by which all of Jesus' teachings and actions are supposed to be judged, namely that nothing should be condemned or judged as wrong. 
This view is found outside the church, particularly by people who think Jesus is a good moral teacher, as exemplified by the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. It can also be found within the church by those who have some edgy positions that are not in alignment with Scripture or church tradition or 2,000 years of church practice. For those people, don't judge me becomes a mantra by which all the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Jesus must be understood. Jesus is read here as laying down a maxim that no one should ever judge or pronounce wrong any person's position or life. The problem with this view is it lacks nuance. And it doesn't cohere with the rest of Jesus' teachings or actions. While it contains an important kernel of the truth, It doesn't correspond to Jesus' great emphasis on love and mercy to others. It's too flat-footed to articulate this complex reality. Christians can pronounce, this is good, this is bad, but we are not allowed to condemn people. You got the difference? A behavior is bad, A behavior is good. But the individual and the judgment of the individual, that belongs to God. And Jesus told us as much if we just keep reading the seventh chapter. Don't judge. Why are you trying to get that flake out of your neighbor's eye when you have a telephone pole hanging out of your own eye? And then he tells us what to do about that. If you really want to deal with that speck in your brother or sister's eye, first, first, Take care of that log hanging out of your own eye. And once you've dealt with the log hanging out of your own eye, go ahead, deal with your neighbor that's got that problem. But take care of yourself first. And that's the rub. Because by the time you look in the mirror, by the time you straighten yourself out, by the time you get your act straightened out, you'll find out that that speck in your brother's eye wasn't that big a deal. It's a matter of seeing. We love to see the specks and the faults And when it comes to us, we have these gargantuan blind spots. Not me. According to Luke, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the last time, he encounters two people on the road into Jerusalem. Both of them are what society would judge as insignificant people. One's a beggar, and the other one is a tax collector. And you can't get any lower on the spiritual totem pole than a beggar and a tax collector. These people ought to be just discounted and 
and just not bothered with. As he approached Jericho, a blind man, we know him as Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, it's Jesus of Nazareth passing by. And he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has saved you. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, praised God. I want to see again. You know, that could very easily become our prayer when we see those people when we want to judge and we need to realize we need to see them with the eyes of God, with the eyes that are loving and compassionate, kind and forgiving. We need to view them as those who are created in the image of God and those who are worthy of God's love and grace because God gave his love and grace freely for us on Calvary. That's part of that process of sawing that log down in your own eye. It's learning to see people with compassion and with grace. It's wanting to see people coming to Holy Communion as forgiven sinners, as people who are precious in God's sight, as people who are not under condemnation, but under grace. John 8 is the familiar story of the woman caught in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus and they don't care what's going to happen because they've set up a win-win for them. They announce her sin, that she's guilty of sin, and they say the law of Moses says she ought to be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? And they're loaded. They've got their rocks. And either Jesus tells them, go ahead, fellers, throw the first stone or Jesus turns her away violating the law of Moses. And Jesus says to those men, okay, those of you who are without sin, throw the first rock. And we're told from the oldest to the youngest, they all just sort of drop their rocks and sort of walk off. And Jesus has been scribbling in the sand and he stands up and he says to the woman, who is it there to condemn you? Who's here? And condemn is the Greek word krino with kata put on it. It means to prejudge. That's what condemning is. It's prejudging. Who's there to condemn you? And she says, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I. She never asked for forgiveness. She never repented of her sins. She never went through all the spiritual hoops we like to put people through. She was offered the scandalous grace of God 
in Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you learn to see again. You see people in need of a Savior. You see people in need of forgiveness. And that's what I hope you see this morning as we come to this table. And we're reminded the words Jesus spoke when he said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.